Welcome to Season 5 of the Getting Into Good Trouble podcast, where we get into good trouble so you don't have to. Each podcast episode will explore an ongoing or recently resolved international protest. This episode of the Getting Into Good Trouble podcast will be a Part 2 episode of last season's episode, Qatar and the Dark Side of the World Cup. Today, we will be talking about how Qatar stadiums were built and how that affected the lives of the workers. In 2021, Qatar started building the stadiums for the 2022 World Cup. The people who built these stadiums were migrants that were lied to about their work environment and pay. The migrants were not paid properly and got delayed or unpaid wages. Many left their family for this job and many died during the construction process. We will expand on this later, but some were becoming ill and getting diagnosed with heart problems that they never had because of the construction. The local effects of this conflict caused many issues due to migrant workers being treated unfairly. There was depression, death, unfairness, and a degree of slavery. One of the reasons that this happened was because Qatar paid off FIFA to host the World Cup, and this caused them to not have enough money to pay construction workers. Like Anna Reid said, they paid off FIFA officials to vote for them to host the World Cup, and once Qatar did this, they didn't have enough funds to properly pay the workers and give them fair living conditions. As months went on and the migrants were working to build the World Cup stadium, families started to get very worried because people were getting hurt and people were getting sick. Qatar also told the migrants from these countries that they were gonna have free living and steady pay. But unfortunately, Qatar couldn't uh, do that. They couldn't do that because they didn't have enough money. And thusly, people were dying and getting seriously injured because Qatar didn't have the money to make their workplace safe. Qatar has been very problematic and has given people a reason to protest. The construction has not been the only problem. There have been problems such as FIFA being paid off by Qatar and the fact that they don't allow LGBTQ plus people to be themselves. And that, those two were the main reasons why different people were protesting. The German players protested because people didn't have the freedom to speak out about the problems in their nation. And France protested because they didn't agree with the worker rights. So for Germany's protest, they covered their mouths in solidarity with everybody during one of their pregame pictures. And France, like I said, they didn't have any areas for the fans to watch the game. In France, they did this in Strasbourg, Bordeaux, Marseille, Lille, and Paris. This conflict of the migrants being mistreated went unnoticed for a while and did not hugely affect the world. However, it did alter many people's opinions on Qatar and the choices they have not only made with the migrants but also in the past. This conflict did not affect the world in a major way, but it did affect the Middle East and Qatar especially. Once the news of Qatar paying off FIFA and the problems of the migrants got out, it started to give Qatar a ton of backlash that they deserved. More than 6,500 workers from India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka have died in Qatar. Did you know about this problem before we were tasked to research it, Henry? No, I actually didn't, and um, when we were tasked to research this, um, I was really excited because it's been a new thing to learn, and that's what I really like about this podcast. What about you, Chase? I actually did know a little bit about this because I've been very interested in the World Cup. But I didn't know all the intricacies about this, and once we started researching this, I got a lot more worried than I was before. 
Now I'm going to interview two people who help with the construction of Truist Park. Hi. Joe, how are you? Good. How about you? Doing great. Great. All right, so, so glad to meet with you guys. Um, you guys were, you guys both worked on the Brave Stadium and the New York Jets and Giants Stadium. I worked um, on the Jets and my- Giants. Um, that was before my time with uh, JLL. Got it. So, and you guys were both project managers. Yes. Yes. Well, right. I, I can tell you, I've done a couple of um, sports venues. Um, gotcha. Over my career, so I've done uh, MetLife Stadium, which is the Giants and the Jets ballpark. Mm-hmm. All right, um, I've done PPL Arena, which is uh, a hockey arena, and I've done the Braves now. That's so, awesome. So it's it, a little bit of a sports background, a bit. It's here in the United States, uh, the projects are usually set up, split, split, set up. Um, reporting functions you have the owner at the top of the, the heap you have the owner's rep who's JLL just Teresa and myself mm-hmm. and you have the general contractor okay and mm-hmm. he does the hiring and he does the firing of the people and the people for the trades and mm-hmm. it, and typically jobs here aren't they're funded privately but they also have to it where they have tax rebates and, and that type of thing but that's basically what the setup is in the U.S. to keep it really high level and really simple. So we would go to uh, Brassville Glory, which is a contractor, mm-hmm. and we would award them. And this last project that we did with them, we would say, "Here, here's 120 million dollars. Build me a building." And they would go out, and we, we would oversee the design. We would go out and get the design done, and and. Brassville Gorey, which is a general contractor, would go hire con- other subcontractors, which would hire them. Got it. Over in Qatar, as I understand it, they have a, a like a small committee of, of officials. Some of them government, some of them private investors, and the the owner's representative portion of it isn't as strongly pronounced as it is here in the U.S. So the owner has a lot more direct say to it. And so they make. Uh, sorry, to, sorry to cut you yeah. off, but basically, from what I'm understanding, is over in Qatar, it's very loose and very lenient, and like it's just hiring whoever we can get. Because I know they they had some immigrants come over like and do the work for them. Yeah, they would they would contract with people or companies or organizations to come over and do the work, but they're treated they're not treated very well. They're they're more of a, a commodity and they treat treat them as such. So they'll put them through they don't have OSHA. They don't have the regulations that that we have over here in the US. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we may not ride up in a forklift bucket and, you know, on the forklift, where those people do that every day, and mm-hmm. they fall off the forks every day. And somebody gets hurt, or in an extreme situation, they'll get killed. Um, OSHA here requires you to tie off at high elevations. I don't think they have that restriction there, and a lot of the deaths that they have are falls of people falling off a high. And uh, like I said, they treat people as a commodity here. They treat their people as a resource. That's the difference, and and the resources, the human aspect of the job. His employee is going to make him, you know, money on other jobs. They may not have that kind of forward-looking attitude in Qatar. Yeah. It's just like totally. get, get it, get it, do it. Totally understand that. Um, thank you for giving us perspective on that. 
Uh, I have a few questions I would like to ask. I mean, both of y'all. So if you're ready, we can get right to it. Go for it. Uh, first question is, what is you got your guys' experiences of hiring? Uh, I know you guys talked about it a little bit, but can you give us an eye on like what your like what you guys uh, your experiences with hiring are? Well, I just say in hiring partners that we work with, such as Mike mentioned, the general contractor or the architect or different consultants, really depends on who the owner is. In this case, it was the Braves, and um, we find out you know what their requirements are. A lot of times, they like to have a diverse workforce, um, you know, considering diversity and if, if it's local people, we had certain requirements that we would have to meet. The, again, like Mike said, we hired the general contractor and I think just from a comparison standpoint, you're most likely wanting to compare between the workforce that we had working on the ballpark versus the type of workforce they had working on Qatar. It's probably a pretty different workforce. Um, as far as either hiring decisions, what we were looking for, you know, they're required to be um, American citizens. They would check that kind of work and mm -hmm. um, and then also the safety training policies. They were all required to go through very um, significant safety training. As a matter of fact, Mike and I were required to go through it as well before you could set foot on site. The safety um, requirements at the ballpark, uh, they actually, besides OSHA, Georgia Tech did a study on it because the, the you know, we, we approach safety very seriously. And unfortunately, um, over in Qatar, as I'm sure you all know, they, they did not have that kind of, I don't even know what kind of safety, if any programs that they had implemented. So I think that's one of the a huge difference. And, you know, OSHA is a government entity here um, mm -hmm. Is it occupational safety? Um, health, health administration. Yes. And um, they really set the bar as far as, you know, just minimum requirements that you have to meet. And I, I don't know that um, Qatar, if those officials had any type of requirements, or if they did, I don't know if what kind of checks and balances they had to make sure that they were met. So okay. hiring practices, you were required to go through safety training before you could, you know, step foot on site. And um, we also had checks and balances uh, that Mike and I, when we were reviewing what's called a pay application, when we would, before we would pay the general contractor, we were making sure that they were paying the workers. We weren't mm -hmm. just giving them a check carte blanche and then, um, and where they could like not pay their workers. We made sure that the workers were paid. You kind of said, talked about this a little bit, but who manages the pay and how do you like keep it fair? Typically, like to say, you have a union who set the union scale. Mm -hmm. And then they, I know in areas where the unions aren't strong or where they have partial union membership, they sign an agreement that they'll pay the rate, prevailing wage. That's the term I was looking for. Yeah. They'll get paid prevailing wage. And that is the rate that's common for this type of work. So they don't get a huge amount of money. And they don't get a very little amount of money. It's usually some somewhere in the middle. Got it. And that's signed on. That's an agreement that's signed with labor unions. So on a scale of one to 10, how difficult is it to find workers and why? Wow, that's a great question. You know, especially if it's um, a skilled, a skilled worker, a skilled mm -hmm. labor force that, you know, only certain people know how to do, and we'll say fireproofing or, you know, the electricians or low voltage and, depending, I guess, during that time that we were doing, do you remember there being any labor shortages, Mike? I, I... We had we had trouble getting people. 
um, electrical and mechanical. And uh, we're blessed with a pretty good labor pool down here. I mean, Atlanta is very populated. But, but when we when when the football stadium and the Braves stadium were being built we were together at the same time, yeah, Mercedes Benz, the football stadium was. We were supposed to finish at the same time. Um, we beat them by six months, Joe. Just FYI, if you want to put that <laughs> in the podcast, we finished on time. They did not. But to answer your question, we've had to go with certain uh, contractors that could get the labor versus other contractors that um, weren't as close to the Braves and willing to. Um, allocate the labor to the brave project thank you for that so i'd say it's about a six so is this part of your job like is what you guys do interesting to you like do you guys you think what you do is like interesting to yourself i love what i do yes mine's a yes yeah it's it's, it's very we've dynamic really cool pro- we've done some pretty cool projects i think <laughs> yeah and that's the thing is you see a little bit of everything how much time does it take you to find like new people for the job like does it take a lot of time? I know this goes into like the last few questions I asked. Does it take a lot of time it or is depends, it like... It depends on the position, Joe, because besides just the actual workers, the construction workers, there's a lot of consultants and even within our own team, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how specialized it, it is, sometimes it takes us a little while. Um, well, as far as bringing consultants, uh, requests for proposals, and they'll send in their bids and tell us about their teams and everything. It, it takes a... It, takes a while it's not um usually something you can put an advertisement in the paper and you've got your whole team put together it, it takes a little while to put everything together mike would you agree oh definitely and each project has a little bit different staffing requirement yeah but, you know, so. and actually on the on the braves it was a combination of four general contractors um what mortensen was out of um uh, minnesota, minnesota. And then we had New South, Brassfield and Gorey, who's uh, Mike and I are doing the new Trios headquarters with. And then, um, is it Martin Malo? Martin Malo. Yep, yep. So then each each of those GCs were assigned to hire their own, depending on what part of the ballpark in battery that they were doing. Um, They, you know, they were responsible for hiring their own workforce. Um, so what do you guys know, like what the labor is like for the workers? Like, could we get a perspective on that? On, on the difficulty or, or the conditions? Like, what conditions, difficulty, like all that, what was it like for them? Like, cause I know like early later on our podcast, when we're going to go record some other parts, we're talking about, Hey, this is like the labor of the workers. Then we want to see like what the normal labor looks like, like the normality. Yeah. And as you can imagine throughout the year, especially here in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, in the summer, we could have some really hot weather. Mm-hmm. And then in the winter, it gets super, super cold. And depending on what your job is, um, I felt really sorry for, especially in the summer when some of the guys that are suited up that are, you know, having to do a lot of, um, whether they're doing some of the fireproofing or whatever. And it's just, besides you being like in a Ghostbusters outfit, you might also be covered in the fireproofings that they look like. You know, yeah. <laughs> covered in stuff that uh, I'm sure that would probably be one of my least favorite jobs to do but um I mean Mike what what would you think the I mean uh, when, like you said when it's hot out it it's, it's a, their their job becomes hard, hard to do uh when it's cold out they have to dress accordingly so they work in all conditions and, and quite frankly I'm amazed that um that people manage to survive some of that especially in the really hot weather I mean, it's brutal. 
And, and and I do remember when we'd be out on site, um, on especially on those days, from a safety standpoint, they they were encouraging folks to stay hydrated. They made sure that they had ice water in, in containers just throughout the project. They wanted to make sure everybody was, you know, um, staying hydrated and taking care of themselves. And the other thing that was encouraged is not to be fearful if you did get injured on the job, you know, to report it, not to be fearful like, oh, I fell and cut myself. Am I going to get fired? They, they, they would encourage it. There wouldn't be any kind of fear of losing your job if you got injured. But they also made sure, though, that folks were following safety protocols. And if they found them not following safety protocols, then they could lose their job. So they were very, very protective of making sure that folks stayed, stayed safe and healthy. That was a number one priority. If we turn it, let, let's just say, for example, those those deaths of 6,500 were spread out evenly across all the projects. That would mean that this project would have probably had about 750. That would be a major catastrophe. They would have shut us down. <laughs> so can it get really expensive to like hire new people? Like, can that add up and... I, I can give you an example if, you know, so say we bid out a job and it goes to the cheapest bidder. We have found out the hard way. There's a reason why they were the least expensive. <laughs> and usually either they couldn't afford to finish the job or, or you know, um, or they just did a horrible job. And then we have to hire to replace them. We lose a lot of money. So we want to make sure we hire right the first time. And so that's why we might not necessarily go for the cheapest bid and, you know, different, especially government entities, sometimes mm -hmm. they require that you go to the, to the lowest bid. The great thing about this project and the Braves, they definitely wanted quality as well. They weren't just going for the cheapest bids. That was our interview with Mike and Teresa from JLL. Now we're going to do a quick wrap up on what we learned. So I learned a lot about Qatar's laws and the U.S. laws for worker rights. And one thing that I took away from that is that Qatar's worker rights laws are at a lower standard than the U.S. and they view their workers as less than than we do in the U.S. And one thing that I feel like they should do to combat this is changing their laws from being more religious based to being more humanitarian based because right now they have a a lot of laws are just based off of their religion and not enough based off of what they think humans should have as rights. Any other thoughts on that, Anna Reed? Yes, I could not agree anymore, but um, one thing that I learned that was very surprising to me was that the U.S. actually has a much better safety system than Qatar, and I just did not think that anybody had this problem, and one of the big problems was that Qatar had many workers that got very hurt on the set, and got very hurt during the construction process. So that was a very cool thing for me to hear about and very eye-opening. Uh, to add on to that, I think the reason that they were getting injured on uh, the area was they didn't have the same organizations that we have in the US that make sure that everybody's following protocols, everybody's being safe, and they also just don't have the same laws that we do here. Uh, in the US, we have a lot more focus on keeping people safe than uh, keeping people happy, right? Because keeping people safe is keeping people happy. And um, another reason, I think that they really do too much with what they're trying to do. Because in the US, it's owner and the other two people that the owner chooses 
But in guitar, there's a council and then other people. And I feel like just having yes. the owner is a lot simpler and it keeps it a lot easier. Agreed. That was the Dark Side of the World Cup Part 2. If you want to learn more about this topic, there are a lot of great articles to read about. Again, we want to thank Teresa and Mike from JLR. And we hope you listen to more episodes of the Getting in Control podcast. Thank, thank you, you for listening! listening.